Advent series, uh, taking a fresh look at the story of Christmas through the Gospel of Luke, uh, chapters 1 and 2. The last two weeks, we've really been uh, in the build-up to the Christmas story. Uh, In particular, we've seen the angel Gabriel visiting Mary and then visiting um, Elizabeth and promising them each a miracle baby boy. Uh, It's pretty pretty amazing. And today we're going to be seeing the birth of Jesus. Thank you so much, Larissa, for uh, taking us through that wonderful story from the Jesus Storybook Bible. Uh, We're going to be in Luke's Gospel, second chapter. So if you have a Bible, you can open up there, and we're going to be looking at the Christmas story. Uh, We are... We do face a problem, though, as we, as we kind of venture into Luke 2, which is that we are all nauseatingly familiar with the Christmas story, which actually poses a problem to us, uh, because we're so familiar. Um, yeah, familiarity, it, it gives us a great disservice, it does us a great disservice, because it stops us actually hearing the story in all its richness, because we, we kind of get it already, or at least we think we do. And so the whole scene in our minds has become distorted and sanitized and romanticized. There's a big cloud of nostalgia sitting over this chapter, which makes it hard to actually see what it's actually saying to us. Um, For example, every little nativity scene you'll see around the place, you'll need to check closely to see if there's an Obi-Wan Kenobi in there instead of Jesus. Or um, the other classic one is um, Baby Yoda in the the manger. you have to stay on the lookout for um, Baby Yoda in the manger as well. One of my favorite ones, it's the classic uh, Love Actually scene where they have a Christmas nativity play and, they, um, and the girl's like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm playing first lobster um, in, the, in the play because there was lobsters at the birth of Jesus. Okay, so we're just going to have to do our best today in Luke 2 to kind of strip back some of all the accumulated nostalgia and um, try and just pretend that we're hearing this for the first time. That's really hard to do. But try and just, from the outset, just put yourself in the mindset of, I don't know what the story is. Like, what, what are we going to see today? Let's try to strip some of that out and, um, and ask ourselves the question as we, as we think about Christmas. Like, so what? What does this really matter? What does Christmas actually change? What does it achieve? And what... Do we actually lose if we lose chapter 2 of Luke's Gospel out of the Bible? What, what's at stake in this chapter? Um, let's, let me pray for us one more time, um, and we'll, we'll ask for the Lord to work. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the, the glory of your Gospel, Lord, and the glory of your incarnation in Christ. And Lord, we pray, just, we just ask for your help this morning to hear your word for what it is, and not import all of our kind of modern Christmas nostalgia into it. Um, help us hear what you have to say to us through your word this morning. Would we hear it as, as for the first time, I pray. Amen. I love the Christmas cheer that we've got around the room today. It is fantastic. Um, I, I discovered that over in the States, in, uh, in, in, in America, and I couldn't confirm whether this is true for Australia as well, but in the States... If you are a big Star Trek fan, you can go ahead and do a university degree in the language of Klingon. Um, so you can like actually study that. Uh, the same is true, by the way, if you're a Lord of the Rings fan. If you want to learn Elvish, you can totally... There's a, there's a degree you can do. True story. Those degrees actually exist. And um, I'm told, again, rumor has it, that in 2020, 
during the great toilet paper crisis, those degrees became more valuable than ever. <laughs> so, um, now, you <laughs> think about it. Now, is, it, is that a good idea? Is that a good use of your time to go and dedicate years, money on a... It's maybe fun, but it's a pointless, a pointless endeavor ultimately, right? It's probably not the best idea. There's a, there's a line somewhere, if you're a Star Trek fan, that you shouldn't cross, and that's, that's the line, okay? Um, same if you're a Lord of the Rings fan. There's a line somewhere about like, hey, this is now costing you like your life to do this thing. Um, you can you can love Star Trek, but you know don't start to make real life decisions about your based on your love of Star Trek that starts ruining your life. Okay, that's that's the line that we're going to draw in the sand. Um, I think that that's how a lot of people in our world today think about Christians when it comes to the Christmas story. You can you know you can. Enjoy the story of the baby in the manger. You can even really love that story. But there is a line somewhere that you shouldn't cross, which is when you start basing your entire life on that story. Like you, can, you, can, you can appreciate it, but hey, maybe you don't build your life on it. It is just a story after all. Let's keep things in perspective, right? That's how a lot of people today might think about us this morning worshiping Jesus this Christmas, this, uh, Christmas season. Let me show you how... Luke begins his gospel in, um, in chapter 2. Look at what he has to say. Look at how he starts his account of the life of Christ. He says, In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that, the, that all the world should be registered. I love that. He's Caesar. He's, he's like, the whole world's going to get registered. I'm the king of it all, right? This was the first registration. There were multiple. When Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. You know, the story of Christmas doesn't start with a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. The story begins with a real identifiable historical location. Time and space, real time and space, right? During the reign of Caesar Augustus, the rule of the Roman Empire, and during a time when Quirinius was the governor over the, the area of Syria, which includes Israel uh, and Judea, and these two guys, Caesar, Augustus, and Quirinius, are actually historically significant figures. They're, they don't just pop up in the Bible. They are, um, we've got, we know a lot about them from outside of the Bible. For example, Caesar Augustus, if you didn't know, he was the adopted son of Julius Caesar. Uh, he was the, actually the very first Roman emperor to bring in, usher in the, uh, a long season of peace during, after a long, a long series of civil wars. So he's a, he's a big deal. In fact, we have a whole month because of this guy. The month of August is named after, uh, uh, named after him. In fact, July is named after his dad, Julius. So actually, can I just like sidebar, historical sidebar? This bugs me so much. If you've ever sat there and gone, why is October, oct, eight, the 10th month? Why is Dece? Death, D-E-C, meaning 10. Why is that the 12th month? It's because of these two guys. They, they snuck themselves in there to be the 7th and 8th month and pushed everything back and ruined the calendar. And every type A person in the room is like, I hate these guys. 
He ruined the whole calendar forever. And now we've got July and August. Anyway, that's totally not anything to do with anything. I get, well, actually, it serves my point. These guys are historically significant guys, right? The Bible is tethered to real historical reality. And that's what I'm trying to get across here. Um, so that's the first thing. Second thing, we have the postcode that this happens in. The little town of Bethlehem. This was a small town. It wasn't a massive city. It was a small town. It was also an ancient town. The town of Bethlehem is the town, it's the town of David. So this town has existed for a millennia, but it's still just a small town, a couple of thousand people at most. And so we have the postcode, we have the, the moment in history where this is taking place. My big idea is this, Luke is trying to tell us that these things really happened. It's attached to real history in real time, real space. This is no legend or myth or fairy tale. This is, Christmas is, is, is tied to history. And so I just want to take this moment to encourage you if you're visiting or if you're kind of interested in Christianity and you're exploring Christianity, um, I just really encourage you to actually do your homework on the his, historical background of the Christian faith, in particular, the man Jesus. My advice would be to read one of the four Gospels about Jesus as an, as an adult. Maybe you've got a kind of a childhood background in church, and you've never actually like read a gospel as an adult. Um, Sam Albury, an apologist, he said that if you haven't read a gospel for yourself as a thinking adult, you're not actually informed enough to reject the Christian faith. I think that is very true. You're rejecting something that you haven't even te properly tested yet. And so I'd encourage you to read a gospel for yourself so you know what you're talking about. Um, so that's my challenge to you if you are here as someone that's exploring Christianity. But Luke does not want to just tell us that this did happen. He also wants to help us see why this happened. What's the big deal about this birth? So let's look at verses 4, well, 3 onwards. It says, And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth. So Joseph lives in Nazareth. The prophecy has that the, the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. So God orchestrates Caesar Augustus having a census to move Mary and Joseph to this town where Jesus has to be born, which is just amazing that the Lord is kind of operating on those levels, sovereign over everything. So Joseph went from the town of Nazareth to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. So this census came at a bad time for Mary. But it was the Lord's time. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no space for them in the inn. I love how simple it's just, and then she gave birth. When the angels show up in the shepherds in the field, to the shepherds in the field, this is what they say. They say, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. This is the heart of Christmas, that the angels have good news of great 
joy. Christmas is great news for all people, including us, including you. Four, unto us is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths. I don't think that's the sign. I think every baby is wrapped in swaddling cloths. This is the part. And lying in a manger. In the great city of David, there is born a child. An angel says there's three things about this child. He is a savior. He is the Christ and he is the Lord. Uh, firstly, he is the, the Savior. Last, year, last week, I should say, we, um, we looked at what kind of Savior Jesus was, was going to be from the Benedictus, uh, Zechariah's song. And we saw that he is the fulfilling God's promises Savior. He is the long-awaited and foretold Messiah. He is the fulfillment of all these ancient prophetic hopes and expectations. They were the one, he was the one they were waiting for. He's the fulfilling God's promises Savior. He's also the Savior from sin Savior. This is what we saw last week as well. Jesus didn't come to save us in some vague way, in some kind of generic sense. Uh, He came specifically to rescue us from our sin. He came to rescue us from the just penalty that we are due because of our rejection of our maker. He came to rescue us from our sin. He lived the life we should have lived. He died the death that we deserved. And he was raised to life to show that that is what is awaiting us that we might be reconciled to our God. He came to atone for our sin. He's the salvation from sin, Savior, and he is the light in the darkness, Savior. He alone can dispel the darkness in this world. He alone can rescue us from the shadow of death that we are trapped underneath. Jesus would say this about himself in John 8, 12. He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I am the light of the world. Friends, he is the Savior. Secondly, he's he's the Christ. He is the Christ. Christ is not Jesus' second name. It's not his family name. Not like John Smith, Jesus Christ, right? That's not what Christ is to Jesus, he, uh, Christ is a title. He is Jesus, the Christ. He's Jesus, the Christ, right? Christ is the Greek word for Messiah. He is the Messiah, which means he's the promised one, the one who they're expecting, the, the coming king who's going to come and reign and bring his kingdom. He is Jesus, the Christ. And finally, he is Jesus Christ, the Lord. Now, this line here, is the one that got a lot of Christians killed. Because to say this in the first century is not just kind of inflammatory. It's pure treason. Because there is a Lord, there is one Lord, and his name is Caesar. What did he say before? He was, he's the Lord of the world. right? He, he, he demanded the whole world got registered. There is one Lord, and his name is Caesar. And thousands and thousands and thousands of Christians would be executed because they would not back down from making this claim. Jesus is the Lord. He's the, he's the true king. And Caesar opposed that with everything he had. For unto you is born this day, in the city of David, Savior. 
is Christ the Lord. And this is the sign. You're going to find him in a manger. You're going to find him in a manger. Luke tells us that a few times in the gospel, in, in, in this passage. He brings it up a, a, a couple of times. He's going to be in a manger. He's going to be in a manger. And again, this is one of those things that um, because of the sanitizing that we've experienced of the nativity scene, um, what comes into our mind is probably like rustic, authentic, kind of like a hipster vibe maybe. You know, it's, it's kind of cute and romantic. Jesus in a manger. We've got this beautiful, lovely, sanitized version of what that means. Um, I remember back to my experience of becoming a dad twice. I've got uh, those, those snaps up there, I think. Yeah. Oh. Um, that's me and little Lucy on the left. And uh, me and little Violet on the right. Um, I can remember meeting them for the first time. I can remember holding them for the first time, getting a good snuggle with them each as they're um, you know, barely able to breathe and adjusting to life in the real world for the first, those first few moments. Violet, I didn't get to hold her for about four days because she was in ICU. She couldn't breathe when she was born. So she was, um, she was in that state for, it was very, very, very sad uh, for a few days, but she was all good in the end. Um, now, when I had get, got to hold those two girls, I, on that first, very first day, I was able to put them down, Lucy in particular, um, into a nice padded crib, fit for purpose. <laughs> what it's designed for. Just a, a box with a nice, you know, nice little soft, soft box. Mary and Joseph, on the other hand, they had really two options. They either could put this newborn down in the dirt with the cowpats and the hay, like, you know, dodging the, uh, all, the, all the stuff on the ground, or into a feeding trough and clean it out as best they can. But that's the options that they were kind of faced with on that night. Now, that's not rustic or romantic <laughs> or kind of, you know, authentic. That's just not, that's filthy. That's awful. It should make us kind of squirm a bit that this is something that they, had, they were faced with when you're holding a newborn to have to put it down in the dirt. The reason that Jesus is in the manger is not because it was cool but because it was just half a step better than putting it between the poos on the ground, right? And so we're missing, I think, we can miss in the story the obscene nature of the fact that the Lord, the Savior, the Christ, is placed in such an awful situation at his birth. Luke is trying to, I think, help us see two opposite things in the one scene here. The angels in the field, and yet this lowliness, right? He's, he's weaving to, together these two themes. One theme is his royalty. This is a king. But then also this other theme of just lowliness. He is royalty. Now, king is born, Jesus Christ the Lord. And yet his lowliness, right? He's lying in a manger, in a feeding trough, in a barn with animals. His royalty because, you know, this baby receives this royal proclamation from the angels and yet his lowliness because this proclamation comes to a group of nobodies in the middle of nowhere who no one cares about. The shepherds, they're nobodies. His, his royalty, right? He receives gifts fit for a king. These wise men come from the east following the star and yet his lowliness. They don't come to a palace. They find him in a, in a barn. 
Friends, this is a different kind of birth because this is a different kind of king. This is a different kind of birth because this is a different kind of king. This is our, the, the utterly surprising wonder of Christmas. The king has come, and he's come and shown us what kind of king he is like. He is the low-born king. He's come to rescue and redeem us. He's come to walk among us, come to suffer with us. He's come to suffer for us. He's come to be our king. This low-born king would, would grow up and continue to walk out this unique, surprising kind of lowliness in his life. He would go after the weak and the sick and the outcast without fail. He would... He would serve rather than be served. He would be homeless. He would be a king without a home. Imagine. And later in Luke, Jesus tells us his mission statement, what he's here for. This is what Jesus says in his own words. This is why the king has come. He says, the son of man has come to seek and to save the lost. This is why he came. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. And he would follow that road to where it led, up the hill of Calvary, to be crucified so that he could seek and save the lost. That's what he was doing in that moment. He was coming after us. So what do we lose if Christmas is not true? Um, I'll, I'll, I'll borrow some words from Tim Keller here. He says, if Christmas is just a nice legend, then in a sense you're on your own. He hasn't come. No one's looking out for you. There's no real purpose to your life. There isn't a silver lining to your sorrows and your sufferings or some higher purpose in your trials. Um, the universe is just cold and empty and pointless. <laughs> it's unyielding, unfair. It doesn't care about your sorrows. Love is a delusion. It's just chemicals in your brain making you feel stuff. It doesn't actually matter. Um, there's no such thing as good or evil, no ultimate difference between the grandest act of charity and the cruelest act of cruelty, ultimately. Basically, life is hard. It's pointless. And then we die. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Welcome to church. Merry Christmas, right? But I mean, this kind of picture of reality, this kind of story is what so many people are living their lives under. So many of the famous atheists have come to concede what I just said, that this is true. And their, their answer, when people are like, so how are we supposed to live our life in that space? Their answer is basically like, just try and accept it. Do your best. It's like, just the sooner you accept, nothing matters, the sooner you can kind of, I don't know, I don't know. There's just nothing there. It's empty. Tim Keller would finish his quote. He said, if Christmas is just a nice legend, in a sense, you're on your own. But if Christmas is true, you can be saved by grace. Grace of a loving God who came to get us. Grace means undeserved kindness. So Christmas is the story of God entering into us, into our, into our world, coming to seek and save the lost, the creator entering his creation to bring redemption. He walked among us. He understands what it's like to be beaten down by life. 
he's shared in our griefs and he knows our pain. Advent season is an opportunity for all of us to stop and come face to face with the wonder and the mystery of the the incarnation again. Be reminded of what it is that really happened. And so maybe for you today, you've never really stopped, especially at Christmas time, Christmas just speeds past. You've never really stopped and slowed down and, and just stared at it. Maybe for you today, um, what you need to do is just look long and hard, all of your heart, all of your mind, look long and hard at the truth of Christmas, the incarnation of your Savior, what it means that God became man, walked among us, suffered and died for us. Let's finish up today with the Song of the Angels. We've had a few songs this Christmas. Um, This is the third and final song of our Christmas series, our Christmas songs with fun Latin names. We've had, um, I think I've got a slide up there, sorry, um, it might be the next one, the fun Latin names. Here we go. So we've had Mary's song, the Magnificat, back in Luke 1. We've had Zechariah's song, the Benedictus, which was... um, Last week, today, an angel song. Gloria in excelsis Deo. Glory to God in the highest. You'll recognize it from the carol. Gloria in excelsis Deo. We'll sing that next. It's going to be great. Um, and there's a, there is a fourth song. I'm not telling you who sung it. But there's a fourth song, the Nunc Dimentis. I don't know how to speak Latin, but that's what it's called. Uh, and I'll leave that one and I won't spoil who it is. Um, the angel song. The angels show up. Verse 13, this is what we read. Suddenly, there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. Gloria and excelsis Deo in the Latin. Glory to God in the highest. And peace on earth. And on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. In the last two weeks, we've seen a solitary angel, Gabriel, bringing news to these ladies that they're going to have a child, a single angel. But it takes more than one angel for this news. This takes an army. There is a specific glory in this moment that the Lord doesn't want us to see, doesn't want us to miss. An army of angels. Glory to God in the highest and peace. The angels have it exactly right. Our response to the good news of great joy must be that of the angels. Worship. Worship. We are to join in the song of the angels and respond with joy and worship because of the incarnation of Christ. And so can I just encourage you this Christmas when those carols come on, don't just listen to them. Join in. Join in with the song of the angels. Sing them with all of your heart. Give him the glory he deserves. Jesus would say in the Gospels that if people don't sing his praises, the rocks are going to cry out instead. We are to join in the song of creation, join in the song of the angels, and sing his praises. Gloria in excelsis Deo. Glory to God in the highest. So let's pray now, and we're going to respond in song. Um, I might ask you to stand as I pray 
while the band heads up and we'll, um, and we'll praise the Lord together. So would you stand with me? Lord God, I ask again, you would help us to see the glory of Christmas. Lord, see past the, the cloud of nostalgia and all the romanticization we've, we've, we've brought, we've imported into, into the story. Lord, and we want to strip it back and see it for what it is. Lord, we know that you deserve all the glory in the world. I pray now, Lord, that you would help us to enter in the song of the angels and sing with all of our hearts, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth. Lord, would you have glory in our lives? Would you, ha- would you have glory in our church? Would you have glory in our city, in our country, in our world? Lord, you are the Savior. You are the Christ. You are the Lord. We, say it, we confess that together this morning, Lord. Would you receive your praises? And would you receive them from us? Would you are good, you do good. We pray this morning you'd be glorified among us. Pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, let's sing together. Hey.